Hi, baby family and friends. Welcome back to Weekend Wednesdays, the podcast that brings the weekend worship into your midweek. My name is Minsu Kang, and I'm your host for this week's episode. Once again, I want to thank all of you for tuning into this podcast and encouraging me throughout the last seven episodes, especially in person. I've been very encouraged by how Weekend Wednesdays has been drawing you closer to Jesus, how it is giving you good questions to ponder through, and how it's been a conversation partner during a difficult season. This episode is the second last episode in our Esther series. Stay tuned for more details on how this podcast will grow and develop in the coming weeks. Let's dive into Esther chapter 8. After the death of Haman, we see in chapter 8 a transfer of his estate and position to Esther and Mordecai. Everything that Haman worked so hard for is brought to nothing, as Esther becomes the owner of Haman's home and Mordecai takes the position of Xerxes' highest nobleman. What an unfortunate end to the enemy of the Jews. Because Haman's enacted law is still in place and irrevocable, the destruction of the Jewish people is still in effect. How can God's people be preserved when a decree of the king can't be revoked? Esther again pleads with Xerxes for the life of her people. She begs, If the king regards me with favor and thinks it is the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman devised. Esther requested that a counter-decree be put in place that it would allow for the protection and preservation of the Jewish people. And since God has granted Esther favor with Xerxes, he would be sure to act on her behalf. In a grand gesture of favor, King Xerxes instructs Esther and Mordecai to write another decree in the king's name on behalf of the Jews. He states that they are to write what deems best to them and then seal the decree with the king's signet ring, the ring that was transferred from Haman to Mordecai. If you're a 90s kid, this is basically the plot to the movie Blank Check. Xerxes gave Esther and Mordecai the power to write an irrevocable law. Whatever they would write would be signed, sealed, and delivered to all the provinces under Xerxes' power. At once, the royal secretaries were all summoned. They each wrote out Mordecai's order addressed to the Jews, satraps, governors, and nobles of 127 provinces from India to Kush. Similar to Haman's evil decree, this counter-decree was written in the script of every province and the language of each people, which included the Jews in their own script and language. Once completed, the decrees were sealed with the king's ring and were sent on mounted couriers, who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. What did this decree say, I hear you asking? What did Mordecai write in the king's name? The new edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them. They were also granted permission to plunder the property of their enemies. Haman's edict prevented the Jews from defending themselves. They simply had to accept their annihilation. This new edict allowed them to protect and preserve their lives. Haman's decree brought sadness. The new decree brought joy. 
As mounted couriers arrived, a copy of the text of the edict was issued as law in every province. It was made known to people of every nationality that the Jews would be ready on the 13th day of the 12th month to avenge themselves against those who chose to harm them. Instead of weeping, ashes, and sackcloth, there was joy, gladness, feasting, and celebration among the Jews. God had come through for his people in a significant way. Through a counter-decree of protection and salvation, God nullified a previous edict of death, annihilation, and sadness. This display of God's intervention and power caused many other nationalities to become Jewish. If the God of the Jews works on behalf of his people in this way, sign me up. They must have seen the limitations of whatever other God they trusted in. Chapter 8 concludes with Mordecai leaving Xerxes' presence, looking very different from before. Instead of sackcloth, Mordecai is wearing a royal garment of blue and white, a large crown of gold, and a purple robe of fine linen. Mordecai, the man who was on death row only a couple chapters before, is now presented as royalty. This complete reversal could not have been accomplished by human hands. It screams of divine intervention. In reading Esther chapter 8, I saw God's fingerprints in two instances. The first instance was the establishment of this counter-decree. I don't fully understand the political system of ancient Persia, but in order to protect the reputation of the king, a decree could not be revoked. This would cast an unfavorable light on the king, as one who makes decisions hastily. And so, another law had to be passed to overrule the previous law. Although this comparison breaks down, this dynamic can be seen in the law of gravity. On earth, we are all subject to the laws of gravity. No one can escape it. Yet, when you're on a roller coaster or on that spaceship ride at fairs, there is this sensation where it feels like you are defying gravity. Even though the truth of gravity is still present, something seems to override it. God prevented the Jewish people from remaining subject to one law that would bring about their destruction. God intervened through the favor of Xerxes, allowing Esther and Mordecai to preserve the lives of their people. The second instant of God's fingerprints is related to the first, but focuses on the wardrobe change of Mordecai. As already mentioned, when Haman's decree was in full effect, it was an irrevocable law. The destruction of the Jews was a sure thing, just as Vashti being displaced as queen was a sure thing. Naturally, this led to sadness and despair. In response to Haman's law, Mordecai dressed himself in sackcloth, which expressed an internal turmoil externally. The coarseness and roughness of the material paralleled the hopelessness that Mordecai was feeling. Remember, he even refused to be dressed by Esther. Her solution was only surface deep. Yet in chapter 8, we see that the new edict brought about a complete change in Mordecai's emotion. There is hope, joy, and celebration. Through the intervention of God, Mordecai's life events have been redeemed and have brought him to a place of favor. He is no longer dressed in garments of sadness. He is wearing royal robes of varying colors 
and a gold crown on his head. It's easy for us to believe that this powerful intervention of God is only reserved for people like Esther or Mordecai, or that God only works in this way in ancient times. Yet, the dynamics at play in the story of Esther are present in our lives today. Like Haman's decree, each and every one of us are subject to the law of sin and death. According to Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No matter how hard we try, there is nothing we can do in our human power to undo this truth. Each of us are bent on doing what is opposite to God's laws, ways, and desires. Naturally, we are born enemies of God and are objects of His wrath. Under this law, there is sadness and despair. Like the Jews reading Haman's decree, we can only respond to our separation from the source of life with sadness and despair. Again, we can try to do all that we can to try and undo this truth, but we will always be met with dead ends. There is no way that we can save ourselves. I've been down that road many times and trust me when I say that attempting to rely on your own righteousness will never bring you to God. In fact, it will do the opposite. It will only show you how unrighteous you are. Under the first law, we are hopeless. Like the Persian laws, this law of sin and death also cannot be revoked. Revoking this law would deny God's attributes and his character. A holy God does not make allowances for sin. He cannot coexist with it. Yet, God refused to leave us in our sadness, despair, and dead-end attempts. Knowing that we cannot save ourselves, he intervened and established a counter-decree. Under the law of the Spirit, God himself gave his Son, Jesus, to take the punishment we deserved for our sins. Without changing the truths of the first law, Jesus came to set sinners free from their sure future without a Savior. We do not have to save ourselves. To those who accept this free gift from God through faith, as John 1.12 states, Jesus gives them the right to become children of God. This is the cause of pure joy, hope, and celebration. A new law has taken the place of the old. A new law has disarmed the sting of the old. The new law has destroyed the enemy. Through Jesus, we no longer have to wear sackcloth. God clothes us with his righteousness. We become no longer enemies of God, but his children. As David Gusick beautifully summarized, God solves the problem not by compromising his decree for eternal justice, but by fulfilling justice and taking the punishment we deserve, his counter-decree saves us, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The powerful and awe-filled intervention of God not only applies to our salvation, but also to our daily lives. Proverbs 3 verses 5 to 6 encourage us to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our own understandings in all our ways to submit to him, and he will make our path straight. Because God is good, because God is working behind the scenes, and because God's fingerprints are all over our lives, 
we can trust that He is moving us to what is ultimately for our good. Leading on to our own understanding can lead us to dead ends, sadness, confusion, and pain. God wants to guide us onto the path of life, only if we would submit and trust Him to do so. And there will be days that life doesn't make sense, but ultimately, God's ways will always lead us to joy and celebration. For me, one of the beautiful moments in chapter 8 was seeing how people from other nationalities desired to become Jewish by seeing the ways that God worked in the lives of Esther and Mordecai. Those in the Persian Empire saw God's favor over his children, which moved them to make him their refuge. It's amazing that how one lives out their faith and trust in God can move others to do the same. Before we wrap up this episode, I want to leave you with two questions to ponder this week. The first is, when was the last time you celebrated the joy of your salvation in Jesus? Maybe through this podcast episode, you took the step of faith and submitted to Jesus as your Savior. Welcome to the Christian family. The Christian life is an adventure, let me tell you. But through it all, I'm excited for you to experience the deep love and presence of Jesus. If you've been a Christian for quite some time, maybe you've heard my post question before. Maybe you've been listening to this episode thinking, been there, done that. Maybe the gospel is all too familiar to you. I say this emphatically. The gospel should never, ever be something blasé in your lives. It is the power of God for salvation. If you're in a place where the intervention of God does not bring you joy anymore, I encourage you to take some time to remember when the grace of God first became real to you. Remember again the ways God made known His love and presence to you. With Psalms 51, ask God to restore the joy of your salvation. My second question to you is, When was the last time you shared your joy with others? When was the last time others were able to see God's movements in your life? Even though Esther and Mordecai endured a lot of unfavorable circumstances, their trust and dependence on God remained strong. I'm sure that Jews and non-Jews alike got a front row seat to see how they were going to deal with their predicaments. Was their trust in God's goodness going to waver? Was the God of the Jews powerful enough to intervene? Will Esther and Mordecai come out of this situation victorious? As we have seen, God remained good and faithful to Esther and Mordecai. He is the real hero of the story. God's movements were shared throughout the entire empire, causing joy among the Jews and converts among the non-Jews. When God's goodness intervenes in your life, whether that is through salvation or in other ways, I encourage you to share that with your Christian and non-Christian friends. Allow them to have a front row seat in how you've been experiencing God, which can encourage others to share in your joy or cause others to seek after the source of joy for the first time. We will continue in the spirit of celebration for our final episode two weeks from now. This episode will cover both chapters 9 and 10 of Esther, and we'll discuss deeper how we can celebrate God's movements both individually and corporately. I look forward to speaking with you then. All right, baby community, that's it for me. Thank you for taking the time in your week to tune in. 
I pray that you are impacted as we engage in worship throughout the week, and I look forward to diving even deeper into what God is doing with you all. See you next week on Weekend Wednesday. Thank you.